Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hello, I'm Helen. And I'm Stephen. And welcome to the New Statesman podcast, where this week we'll be focusing on what happens now for the Tories. Who are the DUP? What do they want? And has the reshuffle shored up Theresa May's authority? Let's have the schadenfreude section first, shall we, um, Stephen? How are things going for um, Theresa Theresa May? (laughs) Pretty badly, actually. <laughs> Sorry. Um, well, you, you basically started laughing on Sky News yesterday, right, when you found out that Michael Gove had, had gone back into the cabinet. It was, it was when I was asked the question, did you expect this and why has she done it? Because, of course, the answer is, well, yes, of course. Assuming, and she will manage to do some kind of deal with the, the unionist party, so not in the DUP, but, but Sylvia Herman, usually anti-conservative, but for obvious historical reasons, not a fan of the current Labour leadership. We'll I love that Lady Sylvia Herman is basically a, a party by herself at this point. She's become a kind of... I, I have to say, she's not one of the characters in this drama that I know a great deal about, but she's suddenly become incredibly important. Well, she basically split off um, from the UDP when they did a deal with the Conservatives, because she's not a Conservative. But that was in an era when the Labour Party was led by... Uh, people who had spent a lot of time working with unionists for a long period of time, which is obviously not really the case anymore. So the cabinet reshuffle, or kind of no-shuffle, as it turned out to be, there are a couple of appointments. Funny to demote Andrea Leadsom, essentially, to not fall cabinet status leader of the House, but that is putting a job that requires a large amount of competence in the hands of somebody who has not demonstrated a surplus of it so far. And also the the cuss of putting Michael Gove in DEFRA when actually, really tragically, he was doing a good job at justice. Like, this is the thing, is that actually everybody in the prison sector thought having somebody with his, his credentials mean that we might actually, some of this reform prison stuff might get through. And the reform prison agenda has gone has gone completely tits up. There are a couple of interesting things. I mean, one, when you don't have a majority, right, and she basically will end up with a majority of two. She really needs to hope that no one dies. But, I mean, this 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 is going to sound like a class war point, but Tories don't, don't I know on the whole. The thing about like, you know, like, whenever you, when you look at, like, a list of by-elections, right, like, Labour people who've, like, worked down a mine, down a mine, yeah. or you know, like have set up like small businesses or whatever. Um, on the whole, Conservative MPs tend to quit earlier, and they tend to have led more comfortable lives. So they, they tend not to die. I I, I know some of our right wing leaders are going to accuse me of bias, but no, seriously, look look at the list of by elections and and what caused them. Right, there is a really really clear pattern. So the the risk of wastage is um is a lot 
God, that, was, that was a brutal, really bad euphemism. Um, I, don't, I don't know why I thought that would be better than just people dying. Like, but, but you're right, because um, it also does include people resigning for in, for general in health, people resigning because they've got a nice job somewhere else, people resigning because they've you know been found out they're having sex with their dog, yeah, you know, yeah. any of that kind of stuff. There's a big difference in a majority on confidence issues, particularly because the Fixed Term Parliament Act has drastically limited what, what brings down a government to basically the budget in the Queen's speech. Basically, to misquote the popular song, the DUP may hold them up, but they're going to let them down an awful lot. That's a song I don't know. Don't hold me up or let me down. I love your naive belief that you singing it was going to help me. If um, it was released after 1997, then but, I, I, I can't help but, it. But anyway, the, the DUP will, will hold them up, but let them down a great deal. There's also the other problem. Oh, this is going to be so much fun. Then... Um, it's not just about you know passing bills it's about controlling the legislative timetable right so let's say you have a vote on oh let's say i don't know grammar schools right and you want to pass grammar schools well how long are you going to debate grammar schools if you're going to debate it for three years i mean that's that's an exaggeration then obviously you're not really gonna yeah if, if each reading takes a massive amount of time but they don't have a majority on the timetable, right? Labour will, of course, disrupt everything they do. Well, that's what I thought. So Yvette Cooper was on television at the weekend going, are we going to have a grand commission, a cross-party commission for Brexit? And I thought, are you on glue? Because what it was the advantage to Labour to, to, to help, you know, something which will inevitably be incredibly divisive, right? I just don't know what's in it for Labour. Maybe am I misjudging that? Is it actually is that is is, is a grand commission a really brilliant idea? And there's something I haven't seen. It sort of depends on whether or not you think the numbers are. No, it's not. It's because no, I guess you could you could formally say you'd be part of a grand commission to seem kind of cool and bipartisan. But the idea of actually spending your political capital trying to pass unpopular bits of Brexit, I just think seems mad. But it is kind of part of that kind of Vet Cooper generation problem. And you know how at the beginning of Ed Zero they just were like, oh, we they kept setting up their own inquiries, and it's like. No one cares when the opposition has an inquiry. And they kept calling for judge-led inquiries. And it's like, guys, you haven't... It, it wasn't a nightmare. You're not the government anymore. Stop doing this. <laughs> and it, it feels like exactly that, right? One, Theresa May's not going to do it. Two, so the, the prize uh, is for a, a softer landing that allows you to kind of end up in the single market. Or to be honest, I think, more likely in the ECJ, spending a lot of money... Uh, to for the you know slightly overpaying for the schemes like policing that we want to keep in order to end up with a kind of Norway style arrangement but with border control instead of fish which actually for a high price and for subservience to the ECJ that deal which would not nuke the economy would command a great deal of popular support is is very much on the table on the EU side but the difficulty is I don't think there are the votes uh, for that issue uh, in, 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 the, in the House of Commons. You don't have the votes. I'm going to be using that gif quite a lot. Um, this, yeah. Because Jeremy, obviously, is a Eurosceptic of long vintage. Uh, there's a large bulk of, of Labour MPs who are intellectually pro-European, but they spend two minutes in their constituency and they're just like, so about this Brexit I hear so much about. I hear the kids are into that now. The politics of it are, are quite difficult. But yet again, what is the what is the interest, right? Like they, they have basically a notional majority for approving spending. Oh, this this is this is great. Approving spending and passing their Queen's speech. For everything else, the DUP are gonna go, um, so what have you done for me lately, right? Be because of the beauty of the Fixed Term Parliament Act, meaning that government can't just go, we've lost, you've let Corbyn in, which will be unacceptable to a large chunk of the DUP's uh, voters in Northern Ireland. The DUP have a massive amount of leverage. And I think a lot of London Conservatives see these traditional Conservatives with, in my view, a variety of, of abhorrent socially conservative views, and they assume that they're sort of like 
straw chewing hicks and it's like no these people understand negotiation and leverage i mean as you'd expect a great well, deal more than, let's pause than... on the dup for a bit because i think it's really um it's something that actually even pretty well informed politics advisors hadn't got to grips with i think we've been very lucky to have shout out to notorious pmg patrick mcguire who's been our tony howard scholar who's written consistently on that and you know he wrote a very good article about you know all the projections even yougov's seat projection which was vindicated kind of saying oh plus 18 seats in northern ireland saying well actually who gets those seats is kind of quite Important. I think the YouGov prediction was, I mean, obviously, you know, props to YouGov who performed incredibly well because they even got the variation. And we were able to, through YouGov's model, be like, oh, no, but we would expect this. It was, you know, so they, they had a great election. And they called some really cuckoo yeah. results like um, Canterbury, which just... So I'm going to have a very tiny but, which, yeah, isn't, if you predict a hung parliament, you really then can't go, oh, and who knows who these 18 Northern Ireland MPs will be, because... That is basically going. That that becomes, as we've seen, so integral to the result. Because Sinn Fein abstentions become really vital to work out what a working majority is, and then you know, like you say, Lady Sylvia Herman's existence has become entirely germane to the running of the the British government. Um. So, but I still think a lot of people don't kind of really know about how their position, because their their social and their economic positions are both in the conservative space, but but both quite different, right? What? To mainstream conservatives in England, Wales and Scotland. The best way to dis- understand them is to think of them as a, a traditional Christian conservative party in the kind of pre-Thatcher mould. And also one with an electorate that is much more poorer. It looks a lot more like, you know, kind of, you know how like if you want, I was going to say when you watch an old election and I remember that no one in this conversation but me does that. But when you watch an old election, you go, oh, blimey, look at the... I've look watched at old the, elections now. I but mean... look at the kind of, you know, the, the Tory vote coming out of, you know, that bit of Glasgow. That unionist, not very affluent vote that has abandoned the Conservatives in, in, in Britain is still very strong in Northern Ireland. So it's partly, of course, what is the self-interest of, of their vote. So much more generous on, on welfare, your kind of social contracty stuff. I think of it's course. money, isn't it? Because, I mean, if you look at almost all the economic um, and social indicators for Northern Ireland, you know, it's, it's less productive, lower life expectancy, lower average wages. You know, it is not, it is a region that benefits from redistribution and we're very, very keen on more of it. In the last, you know, in the in the era of Ed, they would have perfectly happily done a deal with with Miliband. They wouldn't have agreed with them on a variety of issues. But one of their difficulties is Corbyn does reduce their leverage slightly because. Well, yeah, let's but let's also talk about what they want in terms of social issues. Ruth Davidson brought it up. Now, whether you say that's, I think it's probably both a principled moral stand and also a very useful bit of differentiation for the Scottish Conservatives to say. Hey, by the way, we're socially liberal, just to, in case anyone's wondering. Um, you know, her phoning up Theresa May to kind of essentially get an assurance that they weren't going to bring in some incredibly you know, repressive piece of LGBT le- legislation. But also, uh, Northern Ireland is exempt from the 1987 Abortion Act, right? You have prosecutions of people pending for buying morning after pills on the internet. How much of that agenda is, you know, uh, Owen Patterson was on the radio at the weekend sort of suggesting there would have to be maybe a debate about um, abortion limits again and one of the things I find slightly alarming is that a lot of senior conservatives still in the cabinet are personally in favour of lower limits so Jeremy Hunt I think was in favour of 12 weeks which is an incredibly low limit one of the sort of unreported will it actually come up yes and no one of the unreported well not unreported because obviously you've, you've written uh, some stuff on it there's the uh, My Pledge Her Choice campaign uh, which has been calling on candidates to sign up to it and I understand will still be going on even though the election is over there has been a striking rise in the number of anti-choice conservative MPs and candidates in the last 
15 years or so, there's still that quite strong cross-party alliance of sort of Sarah Wollaston, Liz Kendall, Yvette Cooper, and oh, Joe Swinson, who's now back in, in the Commons, of course, but who pre-2015 wrecked an attempt to reduce... Oh, Fiona Bruce's Fiona bill. Bru- yeah. but, but, but that force in the Conservative Party is getting stronger anyway. So my instinct is, if this Parliament does go the full five years, at some point in order to pass a timetable motion, the Conservative leadership will have to agree for to have a debate on lowering the abortion they'll, or they'll sneak because what fiona bruce did i think is she put it in under the one of the crime bills as prosecuting sex selective abortions right yeah. and that's one of the ways that you you kind of just begin to ratchet a little bit away yeah so what, what the what the anti-abortion people are doing as you know better than than i obviously is kind of like look i'm pro-choice but but well this is what, exactly what the american anti-abortion movement has done is just going like rather than attacking the principle itself and trying to overturn roe v wade deliberately they've said oh but you must have a, a mandatory ultrasound oh but you must have a wand stuck up your vagina and see the heartbeat and, you know before you're allowed to do it oh you know only such and such clinics that are 50 miles away can get licensed you know or you know parental um you have to, you know parents have to be told if you're going to get the morning after pill all of that stuff just making it just relentlessly harder and harder and harder and harder and actually some of those protests the kind of uh, ones that you see you know this kind of shouty people outside clinics intimidating people as they go in with pictures of kind of fetuses in jars has already come here yeah it's like you say there is that cross-party alliance but i also think it's going to become very tempting to sneak in some 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 of that stuff the other interesting pressure point on on that issue is leo varadka the the incoming prime minister in in the republic he's uh economically liberal and socially liberal as well but they, he's moved enormously they've right? never debated a pm like him before um but he's moved hasn't he because he was at, a couple of years ago at no abortion even in cases of, of rape and yeah. now they've had this and now he's saying that they're gonna have a referendum on repealing the eighth amendment now the interesting thing is that one of the dup's aims for obvious no one ever wants their voters to get significantly poorer and have a worse time is for a frictionless border between the north and the south of the isle of ireland now my strong expectation is that although there will be strong pressures, uh, a referendum to repeal the eighth would succeed. If you then have a situation where people can just walk across to procure an abortion, that then massively accelerates the issue of people being prosecuted for procuring uh, morning after pills on the internet. If people can literally walk five minutes, take a morning after pill, and come back, what what happens then? Do you then start having you can't have checks at the border for obvious reason? No, no one, no one wants that. But to be honest. Uh, I would be more worried about the future of, of free access to reproductive rights in this country had the Conservatives won a majori- a large majority than I am with them having this this deal with the DUP. Yeah, there's two countervailing tensions. One is the need to give the DUP things in order to have their support. The second is, why would you put through unnecessarily incredibly potent and divisive legislation in a parliament which is hanging by a thread, right? I don't like going, but this, this essential issue of, of basic human rights has a great political upside for the Labour Party. One of the things Theresa May's campaign absolutely succeeded in doing was creating cultural touchstones for anti-conservatism. Saboteurs, citizens of nowhere. nowhere. Um, citizens of nowhere, I think, in terms of the places where they lost and lost very badly. Look at the BME vote. I think Lucy Powell tweeted about this, you know, and actually there was a, there was a great blog, I think, that I've, I've tweeted as well, is that more diverse communities were far more skewed Labour and the turnout was up in those and places And also, if you, well. if you notice, say, kind of places like Gloucester, which moved away from Labour in 2015, why? Because you had a very affluent but racially diverse uh, electorate which in 2010 the affluent ethnic minority vote went okay i like the sound of these tax cuts but i think you don't like me so i'm going to stick with labor 
Cameron spent five years wooing those voters, being very attentive to people's concerns. He 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 very cleverly managed to somehow insulate himself from the go-home vans. I still don't quite understand how he pulled it off, but he clearly did. So for a variety of reasons, in Wellin, in in Gloucester, in outer London, Harrow, you had uh, that affluent ethnic minority vote when I think I can trust the Conservatives. I myself encountered it on the doors in Cardiff North. You know, guy, big drive, you know, TBM who said, you know, I voted, I voted Labour all my life because I just don't, but, but I, I trust the Tories now. I wasn't able to get back to Cardiff North. Was this North. an ethnic minority guy? Yeah, mm, back to Cardiff North this election. But I suspect, partly just looking at the result, that if I had, he would have said what I heard from a lot of other affluent ethnic minorities, which is, she thinks I'm a citizen of nowhere. And it, that also upset liberals in general, regardless of their ethnicity. But it particularly punched that Tory bruise. You know, one Conservative MP said to me, you know, it's like the second affair. You know, you say you've changed and, and they believe you and they come back. You do it again and they're furious and they aren't coming back afterwards. Yeah, which is, um, again, I think fox hunting again speaks to that. It's a completely random interjection that was seen at the time as this sort of like, oh, she needs to shore up the kind of Tory right. And actually a lot of people heard, we haven't changed. Yeah, and if you throw onto that opposition to a woman's right to choose, which is hugely popular in this country you're once again sending a message to people who are comfortably off they are socially they, they might not self-describe as socially liberal but if you look at how they respond to a variety of attitude questions they're liberal you know, the, gay, the fact that gay rights are now not seen as a kind of avant-garde edge of social liberalism right that it is absolute you get incredibly staunch right wingers who are in either civil partnerships or in same-sex marriages right it's just that issue is just coming completely not a left right split anymore at all but we did see in this election how it it doesn't take very much for the smell to start emanating from the Tory party again because people have those suspicions. There is, I think, a real risk to them that the kind of social conservatism thing comes up. And people remember stuff like the, you know, the war on single mothers, people, the kind of race memory. Yeah, because the thing is, legislation can be repealed, policies can be undone, but culture does sort of endure. And also I think the fact that whether or not, I think it looks like 18 to 24 turnout and then the big kind of overexcitement about that might have been overstated, but it does look like under 45 turnout, particularly like as a group was up. And that's a group that doesn't read newspapers as much as the 45 plus. It's a group that's much more tech savvy, group that's much more socially liberal, much more educated. And all of those things, if that part of the electorate is going to turn out for elections more and more in future... It's possible they turned out this time they turned out for the EU referendum. Then that just changes the calculation of what where the middle ground in British politics is, and it's firmly not with the DUP. In terms of the the turnout question, which um, obviously you know in my my big piece on the polls before the election, I went well. Look, it basically depends what you think is going to happen. So I really suspected that turnout might be really low from people being tired of voting, but actually it's gone the other way, and it is an election in which people. Some people felt genuinely enthused. I think some people felt that they had something to vote for for the first time in a long time. They were really excited to do that vote. And other people really felt, you know, on the other side, the sort of very pro-Brexit vote, really felt that they had to vote this way to kind of guarantee that the thing that they wanted was going to happen. The the big data point that we ought to have paid more attention to was Scotland after its referendum and Northern Ireland's snap election where again, a record-breaking turnout. for you. And then, of course, the fact that in 2010, Nick Clegg did get a turnout boost. Now, yes, politically, Clegg and Corbyn are very different, but they are both... Well, both They're both energising the hope, same group of you know, voters. You know, a break from the usual way of doing things. So all of which I think means we should have been, I can never get my animals right, either more bearish or bullish on the Bullish. Turnout. Bullish is good bullish. and aggressive. Bears apparently are, are, are sad. Think of like sad Paddington. That's that's how I think of bearish. Okay, right. So we should have been more bullish on the, the turnout issue. 
My instinct, I mean, it may fade, but there is a real fear in parts of the Tory party of Corbyn, of what he's tapped into, of what he would do if in in another election. So I think the thing that the, the 70s does show us, I think the, the really, fear that the electorate will whack you when yeah. you meet them does hold a party together like nothing else. Yeah, I think that's really true. I'm, I'm trying to work out whether or not there'll be a second election is... It's difficult for that reasons. I also think there is this problem about... I mean, you can foresee a situation in which, given that you know they made huge strides this time, they'd have to make even huger strides for the next time, Labour could lose again if there was another um, snap election. What would then happen, I think, is, is fascinating, right? But they, they, um, they have to make a huge strides to govern alone, right? Which, if you are a democratic socialist, then actually, weirdly, the metric for what Corbyn needs to do to succeed in terms of getting that agenda through is a lot larger than if you are a social democrat because the the metric for Corbyn to get in charge and do lots of progressive social democratic core redistributive things is a lot lower right if they if they were to repeat if they were to gain 30 more to be honest if they were gain provided I, i'm ignoring gains in scotland for for this purposes obviously because gains from the smp kind of neutralize each other in yeah but, but basically they if they had even half as good a night as they had in England and Wales next time, yeah. then they, they they would be quite comfortable in a minority government. Well, as long um, as you assume that then um, the SNP don't decide to be obstructionist for the sake of it, which is yeah, a big assumption to make, I guess. I, I think, yeah, I don't see how I, it, this, the SNP would not find a minority Labour government incredibly difficult to say no to, because... What's their narrative? It's no longer Westminster stops you having uh, a left-wing government. It's actually we, 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 we the SNP. <laughs> we'd are rather you, you be have... governed by the Conservatives, and then but we um, get to be pure. Yeah, yeah I, guess. I, I, I think that's quite a painful position for them to be in. So actually, yeah, the, the metric for success in terms of the politics I would like like to see in as, as you know as someone who's, who's into PR and therefore has basically accepted that you end up with governments of, of the centre and centre-left because you have to get to 50 50 uh, percent of the vote plus one uh, somehow the, the metric for success for Corbyn at the next election is not only low but very achievable if you want a kind of more radical left-wing uh, option then you know Tony Benn was absolutely right to oppose PR if that's the type of politics you want and that is a much bigger adventure for Labour. Stephen I'm going to say something in the privacy of the podcast which i think is probably needs saying is that most people who voted for jeremy corbyn's labor party don't want a radical left-wing program the manifesto he put forward no they want the ameliorative social democratic stuff that was, was in the manifesto yeah i don't having talked to people in the PLP, there wasn't a lot they found hard to defend in that manifesto right there weren't things you know they compromised on trident some people were, were nervous about the tax rise but that's, i think there that, was nervousness yeah. about whether or not economically it, st- it stacked up but it was it did at least soothe everybody from the ed miliband era when, when the feeling was very much like we'd like to be nice but the electorate won't wear it actually it's quite easy to defend we are going to be really nice everything will be nice for everyone like it's just that's quite an easy manifesto to go out and sell if you're you know and, and one, one thing that Theresa may spectacularly failed to do was land her economic argument that there wasn't the money available to do any of this stuff. Yeah. So I, I think it was probably a bit of both because that's the ultimate cop-out conclusion. But one, Labour were just much more candid about where the tax rises were going to come from in, in this uh, election. In 2015, we all knew they were going to have to have some, but the Eds looked very shifty, which meant everyone went, oh, is it me? But the second is the Conservatives did not 
have anywhere near the success with any of Labour's tax rises than they had with the mansion tax. They they kind of were like, oh, income, oh, tax bombshell, oh, garden tax. I mean, I have no idea what the garden oh, tax. Was that did... something about windows? I can't know. Well, that... la- but they it was, no, they... it was no. I'm thinking of like the 1700s when everybody had to. It was basically like their they windows. were like, it's going wrong. What succeeded in the past? And they were like, insert word here, tax. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, death tax. And then unfortunately the one that actually people remember is dementia tax, which was which was there. So well done, lads. Top work on that. Well, look, we're going to come back for a regular podcast later in the week where, well, who knows, we might have to talk about the fact there's another election. Um, let's hope not. But otherwise, we'll be talking about lessons from Labour's campaign. But for now, that is it from us. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. You've been listening to the New Statesman podcast with me, Stephen Bush, and my colleague, Helen Lewis. It's produced by India Balk. Our music is by the Underscore Orchestra, licensed under Creative Commons. If you haven't, do like the New Statesman on Facebook to get all of our exciting content direct to you. Follow us on Twitter. And send Stephen a tweet saying which song you'd like him to sing the credits to next time, because we had excellent feedback on that. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.